everybody, Jeff here from Startup Sack with another Sacramento Startups Podcast Founder AMA episode. Last week, we took a road trip to Folsom for our February Startup Sack Happy Hour. The Founder AMA featured Kevin Kane, CEO of Linked, answering startup and entrepreneurship questions from the audience. Check it out. So, we'll start with Linked. Linked is a, uh, it's my sixth startup. It's a project management uh, SaaS application. We're based in Rancho Cordova. Uh, we started in 2016 as a result of Startup Grind, so you guys probably all know about Startup Grind. And yeah. since 2016, we were chosen to as one of the top 50, and so then from there, we invested about a million and a half dollars into this platform, all through family and friends. And then we launched that, that uh, application in August of last year. And within a week or so, we were very blessed and very grateful for the opportunity how many of you know about the Centene project out in Natomas? Okay, it's a big project, 5,000 new jobs in Sacramento. It's a really big deal. It's like a $300 million project. They chose us to be that platform for helping them manage that project. Very excited about that. Uh, who actually chose, chose us was a company called Wadi Turner. They're the eighth largest construction firm in the country. What's even more exciting, however, is that project also got us to work with Centene, which is a Fortune 60 company. Also, three other top 10 uh, construction firms, Heinz, Stantec, and Cushman and Wakefield. So for a startup, that's a big deal because we get to get involved with these really big companies who have really big needs that typically those needs are consistent with other construction firms. So it's a great opportunity for us to evolve that platform. Since then, we got involved with Sac State, Chico State. These are two uh, universities that have big construction management degree programs to help influence that, and also working with the state as well to try to get us into Caltrans, which is the home run. So that's the link. As far as my background, um, again, it's my sixth startup. Been acquired by IBM, HP, Trimble, and two private equity firms. Uh, always in the sales kind of capacity from you know, early stage to executive. Um, and then I've also done new launches inside a company. So as uh, a company here in Sacramento, you guys ever heard of Unify, anyone? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I used to work for Unify. And so we launched a product called Composer, which was converting, this is when IBM said they're out of the notes business, we are converting notes applications to a .NET platform. And our big pitch was rapid adoption without disruption because we could make it look like a notes application. So that was a great run for us because when I went there as an OTC stock, so over the counter, and we grew to the point we got on NASDAQ and popped it to about $10 a share. So that was a lot of fun. I had to be on the other side of the fence where I actually did four acquisitions in four years. Instead of being acquired, we had to be on acquiring, and that's a whole different experience. So that's me. Questions? <laughs> More pizza just arrived. All right. Talk to you guys later. Uh, startup capital, can you talk a little bit about that? Did you have any? Have you acquired Yeah. So for Linked, we did all family and friends. Other companies, we certainly went out and did the road shows and whatnot, uh, which is helpful because we had some traction. But for Linked, it's a true startup. This is really a back, you know, Started here uh, in Sacramento. Um, we're blessed because the founder's family is from the construction market, so their family has a, a top 100 mechanical firm. So they've done a great, good job helping us stay afloat. Um, and so now we're in that process right now. We're raising capital right now. And the big challenge, as you probably know, is you got to show traction, you got to show market adoption to then get the investors to invest. Well, if you have investor dollars, you can actually accelerate the market adoption. So it's that tug of war. Mm -hmm. And then we're, we're living that right now. So all I can tell you is 
what's helped for, uh, for me in the past has been, I call it the magic dozen. That first dozen customers goes a long way. Because typically when you get that dozen customers or companies, you have a variety of customers so that you can show that investor that, hey, I've got traction. I've got a dozen different comp- uh, companies, different backgrounds, different profiles, different sales cycles, but I'm still unvalidated. And now I can, all I need now is capital to put some gas in on that fire that I grow. And that's the conversations we're having right now. Thanks. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about landing Centene because there's the element of Centene selecting. <coughs> yeah. Sort of a parallel track, but at the same time, I would imagine that a company like yours, regardless of whether it's Sacramento or not, there is an interest in helping out with Centene and project management. Yeah, it's a great question. So we were again very blessed and lucky. So uh, something about this area, this this Sacramento and Folsom, this whole area, is that it's. Uh, how well you can network. And so, candidly, we were introduced to the project manager from Whiting Turner through a, a friend of ours. I'm going to give this guy a plug. His name's Wes Limos. Uh, he has a great, uh, and I wish I could remember his name, Roll Digital is his, his company name. He does a lot of web design work and whatnot. His buddy is a guy named Sean Cooper, who's a project manager for Whiting Turner for the Centene project. So, we ended up having coffee over here at Coffee Republic, and that's just kind of gave my spiel saying, here's what we're doing. He's like, I actually might have a project for you. And so that's how we landed it. It was all through the network. It wasn't like we went into this big presentation. It was more of, I know you, you know me, and just talk about what we're doing, what we look like. And we had to go through a vetting process, don't get me wrong. Um, but that's how we landed it. It was really just the network, talking to people, getting their message out there, and then getting that message to stick. So, yeah. So on your SaaS model, is that leveraging everything to, so that uh, all aspects of construction from GC to all your subs, your electrical, your plumbing, your heating, your air, everybody's communicating and staying on that same schedule? Is that what it's meant to do? Can I ask you a question? Yes. Are you a GC? No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, yes, that's the question. So we named the company Linked, L-I-N-K-D, because we're linking the entire ecosystem mm-hmm. from the owner to the architects, to the engineers, to the, and the contractors, all the way through the whole thing. So how many of you remember a company called Meridian Systems? Another plug? Yeah. Great. So I used to work for Meridian Systems. There's a Folsom-based company. They have Prolog and ProLiance. These are companies. These are products that service the same market. And we're trying to solve the same problem then that we are trying to solve now. What's interesting, however, so Meridian was acquired by um, Trimble. It's a large Fortune 100 company, or foreign company. Trimble just spent $1.7 billion in 14 weeks. I'm going to say that again. They spent $1.4 billion in 14 weeks acquiring eBuilder and Viewpoint to do exactly what they bought Meridian for in 2006 which is what you just said. It's linking, it's bringing together that entire ecosystem, that value chain from the owner to the architect, engineer, down to the, to the, the contractor. And we go one step further. We have a partnership with both uh, Oracle, IBM, and actually more Google, where we can now take all that information from the design phase to the build phase and then package it and give it to the facility management application that actually operates that asset. And then we add to that machine learning, artificial intelligence, and augmented reality. So you can learn a lot from the operational side. I'm sure some of you have heard about smart buildings, smart cities. That's where we can begin to take some of those learnings from an operational side and then feed it back into the design side to figure out how do we build that same building, that apartment complex, that building, um, that 21-story building with the most energy-efficient materials possible. So that's what we do. We link it all together on one platform.
And then it'd be one, that one step further, keeping the tenants surprised, having them, having them. They don't need to see the whole system, but hey, your your space is being framed, your carpet is going in, your you know, you're ready for your walkthrough, and it could be an app on the phone at that point. What through it? You mean the owner? I mean, assuming you're yeah. talking about the owner. The owner and or the end user tenant. Yes. And or in the construction home building business, you got a hundred home homeowners out there where a subdivision being built. Just think if that agent in, in the office didn't have to call each one of those people if they saw the carpet going in or the frame going up. Right. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, let me, let, me, let me add a little fire to that. So add to that augmented reality. Imagine if you are the, the uh, we're mostly commercial construction, so imagine you are Centene. So there's two projects for a Centene. The first one was the Shell, and that's building the actual, and who owns those buildings is Heinz, not Centene. But then as we go, the second project is to go into the actual buildings themselves and work with Centene, the occupant, and with a different architect to then do all the, all the uh, TI improvements. So what's it going to look like inside? What's the conference room look like? How's the sound? How's the air? Yeah, all that stuff, right? Add to that augmented reality. Walking through that building when it's just stubs. Then you walk through and say, you know what? It feels too cramped. This conference room's too cramped as I'm looking through it through an augmented reality perception. Now I want to make a change order. I need the change order wearing those goggles and actually make the annotations to the plans. Goes in our system and updates everybody, and here we go again. So that's a whole new era that's just going to be exciting to watch. That's great. Anybody from the construction industry in the room? Because I got a great software to sell you. <laughs> just saying. So I'll throw something out there So maybe a couple of top. Um, some new entrepreneur comes to you, startup founder comes to you. Um, what are the top couple of tips you would give to get traction with your customers? Yeah, great question. So, we, uh, throughout my career, I've always leveraged and leaned on heavily referrals um, because you can sell to your heart's content, but if you can have someone who's gone through that process and speak on your behalf, that's gold. We, I think we probably can agree with that. So, you know, I would argue to how you get customer uh, acquisition to accelerate is you turn your customers into your extended sales channel, essentially. Um, and that's when it really has to take off. Um, so, yeah, that's what we do to get, to get more landing customers is how we go to that magic dozen that I talked about. We actually have a model inside of Link. It's called the viral acquisition model. So if you think about a construction project, we land a big GC, like a widening turner. If you think about that ecosystem that is part of that construction project, you have a lot of mechanical engineers and architects and other subcontractors from flooring to roofing to painting, you name it. We touch them all. And so we argue that for every one customer, we get three because they get information about us and they log into our, our system and use it. And we have a model where you can have, we have a paid model, so if you create something in the system, you're paying a seat price. If you're just responding to something, it's free. So as a Centene project, we have about 35 paid users and over 300 users of the system. Those 300 users are free, but those are a pipeline. We go right into our CRM and we try to farm those guys and get them to be paid users. Uh, what's your business, your customer footprint here locally versus regionally versus national, and what are your plans? Great question. We're all regional. Um, so my strategy, right or wrong, 
is that we had a much uh, a more aggressive customer acquisition strategy before we landed Centene, and then we decided to pull back on that. Because as I mentioned, we have the eighth largest GC who bought us. And then for that project for Centene, there are three other top 10 GC firms that are using our system. So rather than try to go out and overextend ourselves, we wanted to stay focused on that one project to then grow it. So the strategy right now is Centene, as long as we do a good job there with that project management team, and then we want to get out, so we're in conversations right now with Buzz Oats, Tykert, Otto, Sunt, Sellen, Granite, all of them, with the intent that if we can get them to um, adopt our platform, we argue that we're in your backyard, we're basically your custom software shop, because we're all onshore, by the way, we don't have anybody offshore. We can help build this thing out to the point where we want Centene to launch Link inside of Sacramento. We want Sacramento to launch Link nationally and globally. So right now, just purely regional with intent, by intent. Cool? Yeah. So I have a couple questions. Or one, You've been involved in six startups, I have. you say. Um, at what point did you read the... the the starting founder, or what point did you join? And can you share based on that? Because I think some of them joined a little bit later. Maybe. I did. Um, tell founders like when is it time to bring in the big guns? <laughs> uh, I don't have big guns, but thank you. Uh, so um, my second company. So my brother's in the room. Uh, he's back there. So he got me into the. Uh, hi, Kerry. So uh, um, I started at Stoning Software. It's based in Rancho Cordova. And my next company, I was a 13th employee at a startup. And I was just another sales guy. Um, so to the founder, the, the, the job was to kind of grow, to kind of get some horsepower behind it, right? So that was my first real startup at a very early stage, 13th employee, five cents a share, that kind of thing, right? Linked, you know, I'm essentially... You know, my, if my uh, business partner was here, he'd probably say I'm the co-founder because he was going after a market, which is more about the subs, and I was dealing with the owners. And so now we brought him into the GC markets. We completely changed the business model to do what we're doing. So I make sure I'm answering your question. So in between, I've covered the gamut from being first uh, 20 to the 100th employee. To a founder, I would argue that I think at the end of the day, you know, there's always this tug of war. You know, when do you hire sales and marketing to accelerate your growth? And when do you pull back and make sure that you're really focusing on make sure your product is sound, scalable, and secure? That's always going to be a tug of war. Um, I would argue that I always like to err, and mind you, coming from a sales guy, I'm going to argue on market acquisition before I argue to development because revenue solves all problems. The more revenue you have, you can then do a lot more things on the product side. And the more revenue you have means the more customers you have, the more feedback you have to the product roadmap and product development. So to any founder, I'd say error on the side of market share and customer acquisition before you want it. Could you a product as, I don't know how many, develop, how many developers are in the room? Software developer? Yes. yes. Okay. Your product will never be perfect. I'm sorry to break the news to you. Your product will never be perfect, right? So, so don't try. Just get the customers. The more you get customers to use it, the better off you be. I hope I'm answering your question, but essentially it's really, I would err on the side of, of, uh, of market adoption. We have a question over here. Yeah. yeah. Question. So, in terms of your um, SaaS platform solutions uh, for a starting company, do you use more of a business partnership SaaS company, like you mentioned, or, or do you custom develop it? Which is a better option? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, so, um, interestingly, we are the first referenceable account for Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, OCI. Um, I showed it with you only because we don't have any Oracle on our platform. Zero. Yeah, so we're proud of that. And, 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 and not because we don't like Oracle, <laughs> rephrase, but we don't have, have to expend that kind of money. We're on a mean stack. For those of you who know me, we're on a MongoDB, Express, Angular, and Node. So, we're leveraging, if, if I'm interpreting your question properly, I would argue that what we're doing is that we're leveraging those big companies like IBM and Oracle, and they give us these credits. We raised $500,000 in credits. Between Google, IBM, and Oracle, we got $500,000 in pure credits. Imagine what that cost would be if you had to pay pure capital. Right. And so with that said, I hate to admit it, but we were very much in IBM's camp for a very long time because they gave us 200 grand. And when that ran out, and Oracle's over here saying, we want to get married, we were like, okay, went over there. And that worked for us, and it helped get our product where it needs to go. So I would argue leverage that, and they're all in this game. AWS, Azure, all those guys want your business, right? Azure, AWS, Oracle, they're all in the same fight. So leverage that, man. I would argue leverage it to the hilt. So are you saying that a customer acquisition comes first, and then you can kind of mold your product around your customer's needs? Is so yes, the direct answer, yes, period. And I would argue that you gotta have a minimum viable product, right? It's gotta be an MVP at some level, right? So that's why you get in that customer acquisition. But I would argue that your roadmap is going to um, shift a number of times as you grow. Because the more customers you get, the more requests you're gonna get. The biggest challenge I faced in the startups I've been a part of in the past is we get so in bed with one particular customer, all of a sudden we're another customer development shop for them. It's like, whoa, hang on, do you, does everybody want that color green? We're kind of in the blue market, but now we're developing green. Why are we doing green so much? So I'd be careful about that, but by all means, I think with newer platforms that run the mean stack, as I mentioned, we're very sensible. So we can do things on our platform that our competitors are taking six, seven months with developing teams of two or 300. We do it with five. And we're delivering that capability inside of a couple of weeks because the platform's more extensible. So back to your, your, your question, your point is, on the customer acquisition side, every customer you acquire, you if that's your target market, you always want to be evolving with that customer because they become your referral. Oh, I see. And then you begin to build profiles. I would argue, start building profiles and say, how many customers want green? How many want blue? How many want white? And once I understand that, I can begin to figure out, okay, how do I begin to allocate my, my capital in a way that makes sure that I'm delivering against the best potential for me to get the biggest market share? Make sense? Who does? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that companies in the second area sometimes have difficulty raising capital, but you've got customer wins and a growing market, so I'm just curious how your fundraising process is going. Not as good as I want. <laughs> um, but that's a good question. So Mineta, we're, we're very good friends with Mineta. Um, it's a great investment firm. Also DCA Capital off of, off of Douglas Couple Plugs. Those guys are all stellar, stellar groups. Um, but they also have a profile how they want to invest. Um, I'm an old sales guy, so I like to look at pipelines. So uh, when I first got involved with Lint, we were single-threaded. We had one investor interested, and that was Mineta. So Mineta dictated the terms. And to their credit, they were very, very fair terms. Having said that, however, when you have seven or eight investors asking for you to engage, 
you're now driving. So it's been tough for us because we are based in Sacramento, but we just came back from Startup Grind, big plug for Startup Grind, where we're picked at top 50. Hey, Rich. Uh, we're picked for top 50 out of 3,000 applications. We're very proud of that. But that got us into a pool of investors, a much bigger pool of investors, which, which, which is actually what we want, right? To help them grow that as fast as we possibly can. So we're in that point now. We're trying to you know, raise. And, and the biggest value that we all can say, I think, being in this room and being from Sacramento and the, the pitch that has played well for us and talking to those investors in the Bay Area, in Dubai, in Dallas, is that we're in, in Sacramento. So we're very capital efficient. It's a very key term for a venture capitalist. When they hear capital efficient, they think that's a good thing. So we're, our rent's lower, our labor's lower. There's 30,000 millennials coming out of the Bay Area to Sacramento every year. There's 30,000 millennials coming out of the Bay Area to Sacramento every year. Three times. There's 30,000, right? So that's talent coming up here because they want to be in a more affordable environment. That means we can capitalize on that talent as well. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. Why did your name not scare you? Linked? Yeah. Because of LinkedIn? Yeah. I think it's a good thing. So it's a good question. We had, There's been a lot of discussions about this, candidly. In fact, Michelle, we're in a trademark discussion right now with a company out of the Bay Area called L-I-N-Q. <laughs> in our space. Backed by Black & Decker. <laughs> yeah, that's going to hurt. So it didn't scare us for two reasons. First of all, it tells our story. We're linking the ecosystem. Secondly, if you're going to mistake us for LinkedIn, that means you remember me. And I'm okay with that. So, it's good work. Yeah. Yeah. You've already had a lot of successes. Have you had any failures you've <laughs> You have no idea. Um, yes, I've had plenty of failures. Um, uh, I can name a, a dozen. So I'll give you one because um, you guys all know Unify, right? So Unify was an over-the-counter stock. I went there, I uh, think we were somewhere around 34, 35 cents a share. Um, and because of our strategy with Microsoft, we're moving all the notes over to Microsoft. That was a great road story. So we got to $4 a share. And I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't know this. But if you're over-the-counter stock and you want to get back on NASDAQ, you get to be at $4 a share for a month. Once you achieve that for a month, you can then pop on the NASDAQ, and then you, get, you open up to a much bigger board. We get to $7. Great run. But the way my contract worked was a, it was a five-year vesting. So we popped. And this is, let me just tell you the dates. Uh, I went there uh, July 7th of 2007, so do the math. Yeah. Yeah. So it rose, and then just wrote it all the way down with everybody else. Right? <laughs> 08, 09, 10, all that stuff was just ugly for us. But that was a big failure. Other failures, uh, there's so many I can name, but there's, um, you know, Beyond Software was another one. It was my first one. I was the 13th employee for that one. I got established in the, in the, in the European market as well. And um, it was a big failure because... Um, we had an issue where I left the company and it kind of tanked after that but when I was getting ready to leave the company we had a big issue about making your monthly numbers and uh, for those founders out there and, and folks that are trying to incentivize your salespeople, um, this was a big failure because I missed a month and we're being measured by a monthly goal and I missed that month and my penalty was they took my laptop <laughs> so I said you want my phone? <laughs> so that was a big failure because that, that hurt my ability to be productive on my own time. That hurt my overall time, and that's why I ended up leaving. So that was a big, 
uh, hit in the stomach. And then lastly, I'll give you one more. Uh, VO was one that was that we were doing, um, we were virtualizing the network. Sorry, virtualizing the data center. So for you tech geese out there, we were a layer two switch in band, monitoring all traffic in and out of the data center. And we can actually then deprovision servers from one cluster, tap the load balancer on another cluster, have them give them load. First one, give them software, give them load, and then handle that, that SLA violation, right? Made a big deal because when Gray Davis was recalled, you all remember that? So the Santa Clara um, registration office for, for getting your voting to register as a voter crashed, and they got beat up by the San Jose Mercury News saying you're in the middle of Silicon Valley, and you can't keep your servers up to handle voter registration. So we walked in and went, yes, you can. Here you go. That failed miserably because our burn was at 1.2 billion, sorry, 1.2 million a month, a month, and uh, we had 30 employees, and we just, it, was a, it was a distressed sale. So that's three top of my mind. I have more. <laughs> I know success doesn't just fall out of No. I got no. Yeah. So, so how do you avoid, um, you know, you're going into an industry that has a very old and way of doing things. Construction, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and so, so they've been doing this the same way, you know, and it's very slow to change. Very paper-driven, too. Yes, and you're bringing a very, you know, very big change to everybody involved. Um, how do you, number one, how do you avoid the innovator's dilemma by listening to your customers all the time Yes. you're building the system for them Yes. and, and not continue to innovate? Yes. How do you do that? And then um, how do you just, how, do, how are you making those inroads into that industry and making those changes and introducing this to people and saying, hey, this is actually going to be a good thing for you? Yeah. How do you do that? So let me ask you a second question first, and then go to the first one. So the second question is referrals, back to referrals. That's huge. So as I mentioned before, you land a big GC. The ecosystem for that GC is measured in hundreds, in some cases thousands of users, right? So think subcontractors and architects and engineers. The ecosystem is very big. So if you do a good job, you have a pretty decent footprint. If you blow it, that's a whole different story. So, uh, so that's, that's one, right? That's the customer acquisition side. Back to your first question with regard to the innovation. So over the years, there's been a model that I've kind of gravitated towards that served me well because um, it helps me build profiles, right? So we talk about going into a, a antiquated industry and trying to bring innovation to that antiquated industry. What's served me well is this concept I call the party objective exercise. And how that works for me and works for us is that we go in and we don't try to sell a damn thing. It's really, what are your needs? It's a needs assessment, right? Let me understand your key objectives, prioritize them for me, justify the priority, how do you measure? Those are the four steps. Why that's helpful is because, I get, again, I haven't sold anything yet. So I don't come across as I'm trying to sell you my platform at all. I'm not trying to scare you and get off that paper. I just want to understand what your key objectives are. Okay, now let's monetize that. If I can solve these objectives, what does that mean? And to your point, it's a very antiquated industry, but the margins are narrow thin, right? They're 2 3%. In fact, I think this still happens today. Some GCs will slow pay their subs because they make more money on the interest, right? Here's a billion dollars to go build this thing up. I'm making more money on the interest than I should make. Yeah, it's an interesting story. So so the, the idea of going through the, the priority objective exercise is that 
We don't sell anything. This is what do you need? What do you what do you want? You want to you want to buy a house, okay? So you want a three bedroom, two and a half bath with a pool, okay? So you have a motorhome. Where are you going to park that, right? And you got seventeen kids. Where are you going to house them with the three with the three bedrooms? So we begin to walk them through a process that helps get that um, qualification out better. So you can help them adopt your innovation because it's now less scary because you're actually showing how I can address your needs. But the byproduct of that is, as a sales guy, I don't have to walk into my development team and have an argument. I'm telling them I'm losing eight out of 10 deals because I don't have that color green. Give me that color green because I got the, 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 the data points to show that I need that. Moreover, it feeds my marketing collateral, right? So now I know how to message to that profile customer. An architect has a different reason to buy my product than a subcontractor, than an engineer, than an owner. So the more I understand their needs for that party objective exercise, I now have four different marketing campaigns to the same ecosystem that I want to buy my product. So it helps more of that adoption as well. Did I answer your question? Yes. Good. Thanks. Cool. Yes. Uh, so you touched on it a little bit. Uh, someone asked people, companies in Sacramento don't get funded. Yeah. But uh, how can you tell us a little bit about when you went to start a Brian conference? But you're. Things have changed. You don't have to live next to your investor right. anymore. Can you talk to that a little bit and also talk about how it's still important to keep in touch with what's going on in the Bay Area, if you believe that's true? I do believe that's true, very much so. Um, again, it's a great question, Laura. So um, uh, i try to answer it this way. I, I can't tell you how many times I use that term, capital efficient. So every time, so startup grind, if you're chosen as this top 50, the other benefit is you get to get sit down with investors. They actually help you schedule. So investors get your package and they go, I like this package. I like this pitch. I like this sales. I want to meet with this company. So um, everybody look at Carrie. <laughs> so, uh, um, so, so we get talking to six different investors and that was a big deal for us. And so when we talked to all of them, then one of the big concerns were, what's your burn? And before we told them our burn, we said, well, we're from Sacramento. And they kind of go, huh? I said, yeah, we're an hour and a half up the road, and we're about 75% less the cost of not only labor, but also our facilities. That's a big, big deal. Staying in touch with them. So we also got uh, picked up. So again, we're in the construction industry. So Dubai, Kuwait City, those are big construction environments. And so we got uh, tapped by one of them. So I'm a big believer in, and I don't, I'm not a big believer in MailChimp because you feel like you get spammed. So I would argue that as whatever founder or whatever it may be, this is what I like to do anyway, is that I try to have a two-week rhythm. So every two weeks, which usually means it's weekly, so I have different groups I hit, but every two weeks I'm hitting them just with a good message from me. It's the same message I send to all of them, but I want to make sure I stay in touch. This is what's happening. Got this new customer acquisition. Got this new feature. Got this new press release. Right? It's just, it's just like all you guys know about how good social, how important social footprint is within LinkedIn and Twitter. And I'm not a Facebook guy, but same way, right? So how are you want to update that? So I'm a big believer in the more you keep and you're always selling, right? I don't care if you're a developer, marketer, whatever, you're always selling. So the more you can keep your investment community abreast of your uh, accomplishments and your progress, then at one point they're going to say, we got to talk. And um, we're hoping that happens soon. So, yeah. Can you touch a bit more on the process of your capital raising journey? 
a lot of cons, <laughs> not a lot of pros yet. Um, so the pros is, uh, I'll, I'll take that back. So the pros are, you can, this is the, the environment right now is no better environment, right? I was watching something, what was it? I was watching something recently, this is back in 2014, it was, uh, oh, I think it was a TED Talk with a bunch of investors up on stage. And the time, and this is 2014, how great of an environment was to raise capital. I would argue that environment exists today, if not better, right? So I think you can always get an interested party to talk to you. The question is, is the terms. I'm going to be on your terms, yes or no. So our journey has been, we've had a lot of interesting interest, but because we are so new in our revenue capture, that we're at a disadvantage in how we negotiate those terms. So that's the, that's the con. Um, and then it's just getting a lot of attention. People always, uh, a lot of people have profiles. So some people's profiles is that we want to invest unless you have a $500,000 ARR. Other people say it's a million dollar ARR. Other people say it's this number of, um, of uh, features you're, you're releasing or whatever, your, whatever that metric may be. So on the pro side, you can suddenly raise money. On the con side is, is you spend a lot of time having to answer those kinds of requests and those kind of inquiries, and it can be problematic if you're not filtering it effectively. So there are some investors we don't respond to because we know their history. They're more about um, management fees and they're more about... Uh, not growing the company, but more about maybe looking how you can fit into a portfolio, like an acquisition strategy. We don't want to do that. We want to grow organically. So it's a, I don't know if I'm answering your question. It's more about, A, environment you can raise money in. B, be careful of the terms you're, you're negotiating. And are you aligned? Is the investor aligned with what your goals are for the company? Do you want to grow and be an IPO? Or do you want to grow and be acquired? Whatever that, that, that strategy is for you, make sure your investors are on that journey with you. Does that help? Yeah, I'd like to also if you just expand too on some of the hard lessons that you learned. That I'm just going to be entering in that uh, world, world right away, and I really I'm very green in that world. So if I can learn quickly from your mistakes, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> write a book. Um, so first and foremost, I'd say um, like any pipeline, you, you make sure you invest a lot of effort in the pipeline because if you're single threaded, as I said earlier you're at the mercy of that investor. So whatever terms they want to give you, you don't have many other options. If you're looking at trying to make payroll in the next 30 days, you're going to take that deal. So I would invest a lot of time in vetting out the investors out there that fit the profile that may fit your business and do a full core press on those guys. So at least you have, at a minimum, three you're talking to at the same time before you start really getting the conversation with one of them. Because otherwise, they'll know that you're the only one they're talking to and, and that who's driving that? You're not. They are. that help? Yeah. You bet. Yeah. In your race, have you put an end date to a closing date for your race? And if so, has that helped you and how has it helped you? Yes, in the past. No, today. Okay. In the past, it's helpful because uh, usually you want to put an end date on that raise because you already have some interest and you already are starting to do some. Oh, some wait forever. Right, right, and you want to create that that compelling event, right? Was I need you to move, make a decision? So I'm going to cleave it here, right? And I've also extended that date many, many times, right? So it's going to be end of January. 
I, I, I meant February. <laughs> I actually mean March, right? So you can always extend it without any harm or foul, and you can always excuse it because you're, in, you're still in terms with somebody else. And it may be very true, you're still in terms of discussion with somebody else. So this means you can still bring on more. There's no, there's no better way to be, in my opinion, than over-assigned, right? That's, that's a good thing. Um, so that's when, I, that's when I typically do it. So today in our raise, we're doing today, no, this is just, we're just in the seed round right now. We're, you know, we raise a lot of money from family and friends. We have some proof points right now. So now we're going to have to focus in this kind of, I'm doing what I just told you to do, is to kind of build that pipeline. The more investors we talk to, the better, so that, that we have now a good story to tell. And ideally, when we're talking to multiple investors, then we become, ideally, you get in a bidding war. That's the ideal world, right? So all of a sudden, you got this going on. It's like, wait a minute, this guy's going to give me $2 million, and these are the terms. You know, either get, jump to three on your terms or meet me on these terms and so sweeten the pot. Don't you find sometimes your investor community will have contacts that will... They'll share your business with that uh, end user? Yeah, absolutely. In fact... I don't want to disclose the names. I don't know if I'm betraying their trust. So I will tell you that as a local investor today has told us that they will come in with another lead investor to the tune of another million dollars. So that's that. Now that's an interesting dynamic because when you talk to investors, you got to kind of once again back to your point, you got to vet and um, qualify your investor. Some investors want to be the only investor because they want to be able to have that board seat and be able to kind of uh, help. Um, control where you're going. Other investors want to de-risk their investment. So if they know that there's another credible investor, especially that has contacts in the local community that we're trying to launch into, now their investment has been de-risked. I would argue that on in general, majority of investors want to find a way to de-risk their investment. So if I come to you and say, if you can be the lead investor, I got some reason to come in to the tune of a million bucks. So you get to help control the terms, write your terms, right. but you know you have another investor locally who's going to come in at a million. So does that help you, or yes or no? So it's part of that qualification process. So it's back to the point that they do share in their ecosystem. You Go said ahead. it kind of traditional, like, hey, we're going out for a Series A, B, C, yeah. you know, so on as you grow and you grow the revenue. Right. These are going to be our thresholds. Yeah. Uh, well, yes and no. I. Um, I found that the more I try to project, that that tends to be information. That, it's like being a lawyer in a court of law, right? The more I try to project, I'm giving the information to beat me up with later on. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I want to try to keep it as as best I can to my best and say, with this two million dollar investment, I think I can get to here. Right. Now from there, do I, do I need to go raise a seed round or, or not a seed round, but a Series A round to five or ten million? Yeah. Maybe, or maybe not. Because if I can keep this under my own power, then uh, it's just, you don't get diluted, you right. don't get no control. Then, then, moreover, if you're showing that growth, then you have a different story to the next investor. Hey, I don't need your money, but if I had your money, my five-year goals now become a three-year goal. This is a different conversation. Yeah. yeah. What would it take to sign a granite construction, or is that like unrealistic? Well... First question, you know anybody at Granite Construction? <laughs> we are talking to them. I'm not. Okay. Well, we, do, we are talking to Granite Construction. So is your question to land, and what does that mean to our business? I mean, it, seem, I think you, it seems like you have a lot of smaller uh, GCs, which is great. It, is it better to go after the elephant, or is it better to kind of spread out? So we're fortunate enough um, that we kind of started with an elephant, right? We started with Whiting Turner, the eighth largest in the country, and then 
Uh, Stantec is the third largest architectural firm in the country. And then Heinz is, I don't know, but they got $120 billion under management, so they're big. And then there's Cushman and Wakefield, which I don't know that either, but they're big as well. So we're kind of started up there. So we think that gives us some power to go down to the granites down. That's hard to say because they're a big company, but go down to the granites, the buzz oats, the tigers, and the what have you, right? So we're trying to bring that credibility. The challenge we're finding, candidly, is that the problems we're solving at the elephant level aren't necessarily the same problems that we're trying to solve at the, what's a good example of the elephant versus the cow? I don't know, the smaller animal. Uh, yeah, so, so the, the different types of problems. So the, our intent is to make sure that we can, we're trying to show them that our pr- platform is, is, uh, is elastic enough that we can do both. So all we care about is walking into an account with the credibility. We walk in right now and say, we're dealing with the top, with four of the top 10 GCs in the country. That's who we are, and by the way, we're six months old. What do you want to do? Yeah. So, and do you build in any kind of risk mitigation in your system as far as for, um, you know, if, if your big guy hires a little guy, then the little guy do the job? Yes. So is there risk mitigation for the job built into those systems? Okay, so uh, no, there's not a risk mitigation built into the system A. B, there is a solution for that. So at Davis, there's a company called Building Connected. Anyone ever heard of them? So it's called cool Building Connected. We're working with uh, Blue Book. They've been around for about 100 years. But what happens is, to answer that question more directly, is if you're Turner Construction, you're building the Golden One um, uh, Stadium. Thank you, that one. Um, you don't know. You can't deploy all your subs from the back east to come out and build that asset, right? You want to go to the local assets because it's a low cost of labor. They know that infrastructure, yada, yada. So Building Connected and Blue Book, what they do is they, they identify those subs in that area that can that have historically bid on and won those bids on $50 million, $100 million contracts. So while we don't offer the mitigated risk in our platform, we have the partnership that goes to that filtering process that helps with the bid management. That help? Yeah, I just didn't know if you were if you were including that as part of your, your organization's. We, we do we do as part of a strategic alliance. Right. Okay. Are we out of time? No, no. Okay, good. Ten minutes. So okay. Well, heck. What Perfect. else you guys got? <laughs> yeah, Laura. Uh, so I think you've had experience with this. A lot of early stage founders, they don't really have money yet, but they need to attract talent. So what are some ways you can attract talent, whether that's development or sales talent, to your early stage startup when you can't pay them a full salary yet? We're, we are in that discussion right now with a sales guy um, that used to be a CEO um, and a strong, strong candidate. Well connected, good network, all that. But because we're so lean on our capital, it's tough to then pay that resource what they what their market rate is. So it's a, it's always it's a tough line to cross. So what uh, we're negotiating right now, and, and and what has worked in the past is first and foremost equity helps. So if they really believe in the business, equity is going to help. Secondly. There are a lot of businesses out there that are commissioned only, right? So we try to come up with a model that says, listen, we're lean on capital, but if you can bring a deal across, we're going to pay you double-digit commission checks, right? And then we have some kind of deferral. So then we raise that next round. We can allocate X amount of dollars to kind of back pay you for your time. So there's ways around that we, we try to go through. Um, but what's tough about that is that, um, is that then 
you know, it's you can never guarantee sales. You just can't, right? On the development side, you can never guarantee the quality of that developer, right? Are they really doing good jobs on annotating their code? Yes or no? Are they doing a good job QAing their code? Yes or no? Right? So it's tough. So what we typically do is we have a cliff. I'm sure you guys are familiar with cliffs. We have, usually have a, a one-year cliff. So that way, it gives us that time. So that's helped us is to have the conversations around commission at a, at, a, at a rate that is attractive, and then equity, hopefully, at a rate that's equally as attractive. So, so a couple more questions. There's been no questions from the absolute back. I want to make sure everybody has a question and a chance to ask. Go ahead, Doug. What do you got? <laughs> um, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm too close to it. Yeah. What are you doing to plan around retention of employees? Like a lot of uh, we have a lot of gig workers on our team because they don't want to commit to a job. So what are you doing in terms of like, how are you making the trees people who might not want to be committed, or are you kind of embracing like, kind of more fluid workforce? Yeah, uh, we are on the marketing side, not on the development side, uh, only because our app is just fat. I mean, it's huge. It's, I can't tell you how many lines of code, but it's big. We have an email system. we got a file management system that rivals that of whatever. So thank you for that, for the question. Let me give my company another plug. We, we consolidate a lot of different solutions. So we have a project management solution that also consolidates uh, whether you're running Google Docs, Dropbox, or, or Box, whether you're running a product called PlanGrid, which is an interesting story. PlanGrid came out of, she graduated from Sac State in 2008, started a company in 2011, sold in 2018 for $875 million. Just saying it could be done. Um, and then uh, in DocuSign. So on the development side, we can't. We can't, we can't contract that out. It's, there's too much stuff going on there. Marketing site all day long. We, we engage that everywhere we can. And that's been a great model for us. And some of them raised their hand and said, hey, don't want to be on a contracted rate. Let me get involved with some kind of a contracted, some kind of an equity rate. And that's a, a whole different discussion. Does that help? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, do you like sports? Yes. Can you tell me why there's a baseball game on the television? Spring training. And for those of you who are Giants fans, it's Bochy's last year, so it's a big year to watch the Giants this year. Yeah, so, yeah. I'll do, so I'll do the second to last question. Somebody who's got a question, think of it now. So you're a sales guy, right? Yes. So how, and you're obviously in a very technical field. So yes. You talk about AI and, and augmented reality. How have you... Bridge that gap between sales and tech. How do you attract this tech talent to help you build out your platform? Being a sales guy. Oh, I see your point. Because um, I'm just that good of a sales. Well, so, so I know, maybe you're just a really technically savvy sales guy, but some people just aren't. Yes. Well, and that's actually that's a very key point, by the way. So, so uh, bless you. So I'll give a plug to my brother again. So my brother graduated with a programming degree, and he's a sales guy. And so I always watched his ability to go into an account and be incredible, not just a sales guy. So I always work to making sure that I understand the technology good, pretty well. And then back in my day coming up, that we had to rely on sales engineers. So you guys know who the SEs are. And uh, that bothered me because as a sales guy, I don't care who you introduce into your sales cycle. It could be the CEO. It could be the SE. It could be your manager. You're, by definition, introducing risk in that sales cycle. And I don't like risk. So I try to make sure I knew as much as I possibly can to maintain my sales cycle. Back to recruiting, 
you know, I think it goes back to um, just, you know, some of the buzzwords, right? People love, on the technical side, what do people want to work on? They want to work on the newest technology. Mean stack is relatively new. We started with Angular 1. We're now on Angular 7, by the way. So we're helping to coach Google a little bit on what they're doing on their, on their, on their coding. Secondly, we're in machine learning, artificial intelligence, and augmented reality. You talk to any developer, they'll kind of go, oh, that's kind of where I'm heading towards as well. That's where everyone seems to be heading towards for that matter. So I think it's back to selling the value of why are we a market leader? Because not only do we have a good solution, but we're also on leading edge technology. And if you're a developer and you want to be on a leading edge technology, we're the house for you. Okay, so uh, we've got time for one more question. Who has not asked a question yet? Who wants to ask a question? Just dying to ask it. Anybody? I know yeah, Come on, Rich. You got something? Okay, Rich. You take basically you came in to LinkedIn as a CEO, like they had two. I think it's Hans. This is a question. I'm not CEO of LinkedIn, although I will take that job. I am CEO of LinkedIn. So, what was the experience coming into a startup? You know, as you know, they brought in you as the CEO. What was that experience like? Oh, uh, good question. So I was brought in, um, uh, interesting story. We had an investor who was going to invest some dollars, um, and I was talking to that investor about a different deal, and that investor asked if I stepped out of the advisory board position, stepped in the operational role as CEO, they would increase that investment. Uh, that got really interesting to me. Uh, so then part of our due diligence and part of their due diligence, so now all of a sudden me and the investor became partners. So as they're doing their due diligence in the company, I was doing the same due diligence as to whether whether or not I'm going to work there, yes or no. And one of the key um, components for that investor to invest was a big customer here locally uh, said they can put about 400 users on our platform. And our break-even is 500 users. So that was very appealing, and it de-risked that decision. So that's how I came on board. Yeah. Okay, we'll take one more question. One last question, quick one. Is there any uh, graphic artist resources in this group? I get a logo in. That sounds like if there is, raise your hand and we'll connect you afterwards. Sure. It sounds like a separate question from yeah, right. So, any, I'll give it one last shot. Any last question? One more. So, how do you deal with the emotional roller coaster of everything that's going on from a personal standpoint? I'm 23 years old. <laughs> Not very yeah. No, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of beer. And, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm blessed with a the, with the, with the pretty strong family that um, is very patient with me. So, that's it. All right, well, give it up for Kevin. Thanks, guys.